All right, everyone, quiet on the set. Places, places, we've got a show to make here. Is Chris ready? Yes. Okay, everyone, in three, two, one, and... Coming to you live from sunny Orlando, Florida, it's the Great Movie Radio Show, a movie talk podcast starring Chris Schneider. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Great Movie Radio Show. This is Chris Schneider, and uh, if you've listened to our first episode, you will know my guest very uh, very well, or at least from his taste of movies. Uh, but we're going to welcome back Mr. Joe Erickson. Yo, what's up, people? So, Joe, we had a good time going around the track mm-hmm. last episode, and uh, it definitely went a lot longer than the ride used to go. Yeah, well, you know, inaugural track needs its first ride to be uh, full of attention, so... I don't disagree with you. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad to hear that, you know, there's a lot of detail going into your version of the uh, GMR. Right. Today we're actually going to talk about some other topics. Um, I asked some questions to you uh, recently that, uh, you know, I just want to talk about. And they include your favorite scores on composers, directors, maybe some movies you haven't seen. Mm-hmm. And then an odd question that... Uh, I look at it as, you know, everyone's got their favorites, but also people have ones that stick out. Not mm-hmm. like a sore thumb, but they stick out. There's like a moment in yeah. them that just, this moment just, mm, it may not be your favorite. Right. But it's one that it goes along with you. Something that inspires you. So that the question was five films that inspire beyond your favorite. Right. And uh, so we're going to touch base with those. We're going to start with scores and composers because mm-hmm. I am a soundtrack junkie. Like if I had a drug of choice, it would be movie scores. That, um, wow. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> hey, music, music is a healer. Yeah. We'll it's say. also a drug. Yeah. And um, that would go along with what you were going perfectly Exactly. So um, Uh, you sounded like you disagreed with me, and then you came right back and agreed with me. Oh, no, 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 no. I I totally 100% agree. Like I said before in the first episode, I I grade a lot of the movies that I like based on their soundtrack. Well, that's... uh... Yeah, you and I definitely have that in common, and especially with the list you have here. I mean, a couple of them, they're not, you know, they don't touch my favorites. Your first one and your second one definitely hit, uh, and even your third one, just because of who did it. It's a mixture of scores and composers, so it's it's, it's five, uh, and the first one is, of course, John Williams, and John Williams, essential. Yeah. Like, Star Wars just has everybody. Star Wars, Indiana Jones, Harry Potter, Harry Potter, and he's been um, he's been he's all been over everywhere. The place. Yeah, and he, he I, I love he did and, a lot of Steven Spielberg's work too. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. And and I uh, I'm a huge fan of him because of Star Wars and the fact that he's very thematic. Yeah, very thematic. I actually went to a John Williams tribute concert recently, mm-hmm. and they played a little bit of everything: Superman, mm-hmm. um, E.T. E. And what was great is he has inspired other composers mm-hmm. and uh, what's great is that we're starting to see other composers into the Star Wars universe right and Michael Giacchino who's mm-hmm. done a lot of stuff for J.J. Uh, Abrams right um, he also did Incredibles and also he did Rogue One Yes. And what was great is if you listen to the Rogue One score with Giacchino, you hear a lot of John Williams in that score. Yeah. And he's a, he's a wonderful composer to study the thematic elements in his in his pieces. Well, and a lot of things with composers is they take a lot of elements and they take a lot of inspirations of composers before them, obviously. Of course. Um, but the real question is who inspired John Williams to compose the way that he does? 
I don't have the answer to that. <laughs> I was gonna say, are you gonna? I, I don't know either. I, I do wish too. I had the answer to that. That's a question for John Williams. John, if you're listening, please get with us. We would like to know. Yeah. But he is—he is a genius. He's and I know, a musical legend. He is. I know a lot of people like Rise of Skywalker, and mm-hmm. a lot of people don't. Right. But if one thing stands out to me is, and he—he he said he was doing this before the movie even came out. So mm-hmm. I was—I was listening for it. He took pieces from the other eight Star Wars movies mm-hmm. and made sure, the ones that he's done, of course, the, yes. the Skywalker saga, whatever, he made sure that they were present, including new thematic elements from Nine. Which is great. So, so we, we've got a little bit of everything yeah. in this one finale piece. But he is fantastic. And mm-hmm. I will never not love John Williams. And even sitting at you know a concert that he's not there, mm-hmm. but you're hearing... These other musicians and the composer and the conductor playing, you know, what they've come to love from him. You know, mm-hmm. the best of John Williams. Right. Uh, Raiders and, and, oh my God, it was incredible. And you, you see the love. You see the love in other musicians playing his works because yeah. they, you know, when they're you know learning their instruments, they're learning John Williams. And to right. get to play his work has to be an honor. And you, you see, you see the emotion through the music and, and just like John Williams puts out there in his work it's it's very emotional mm-hmm. what would be your favorite of his I mean the Indiana Jones series was phenomenal for me at least uh, I like the adventurous uh, sport of the movies themselves and I feel the music that he provided behind them added a little more depth to the character that is Indiana Jones not just as far as like where his settings are, what he was fighting, or what he was going after. I mean, obviously it did all that, but it really showed who the character was, especially in The Last Crusade, when he, uh, where the opening cinematic is him as a teenager. Mm-hmm. Then he recovers the cross and uh, has to hand it back over to the bad guy, and then he instantly becomes a human, or I'm sorry, human, an, an adult on the ship, Looking for that cross again. He wasn't human before. He wasn't that, human but now before. he is. <laughs> but he became an adult on that ship, and the music changed. You could tell he had been hardened through time. You could tell that he had been through a lot, experienced uh, experience yeah. a lot of uh, adventure and, uh, and danger. And I think that's what I really take back from John Williams's music. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Well, Mr. Williams, we appreciate everything you've done um, with your with your works, and we uh, thank you for Star Wars. Cons- Rise of Skywalker was his last one. I hope mm-hmm. it's not his last film. Please do more. We love you. Your number two is the Tron Legacy soundtrack, which... I, I picked that because I like Daft Punk. They make great music, and to see them go into the film realm was somewhat of a new experience for anyone, really. Yeah. Uh, Trent Reznor didn't really do anything until a few years after that. or Well, actually, not until, like, what, two years ago? Last it's year? It's been a while since he's because they got started with social network yeah but he was doing instrumental work with nine inch nails before all that right but that's what i'm saying like you don't see a lot of bands or musical artists become composers for film as big as a name that i can think of off top of my head i can't think of your number five is one danny elfman came from moingo boingo i didn't know that you didn't know no i didn't know that uh go and listen to the song called insanity it sounds like that song inspired the entire nightmare before christmas soundtrack in my opinion uh yeah huge huge 80s band they were like it felt like a car well, yeah, on stage, I, I know what Oingo Boingo is. Yeah, but, but you I didn't, didn't, know, that, you I didn't know? know that he was in a band. Oh man! But that's what I'm saying. Like you don't hear about things like that. Yeah. Like you don't you don't hear that get made public a lot. Like oh yeah, Danny Elfman was in Oingo Boingo, and that's like a general conversation. I'm talking more along lines of you have a movie like Tron. 
who which was a cult classic. Oh yeah, back when it came out. And Wendy Carlos did the original. Who she did? Uh, she really pioneered synthwave. Yeah, for for Mill because she did The Shining, mm-hmm. Clockwork Orange, right? Kubrick film. Well, and, and 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 the fact that like you had Tron, which was a cult classic, exactly. And then you had Tron Legacy, which had to go along with the cybernetic feel to what the movie is. I was gonna say, what other person or persons can you put? that with besides Daft Punk who have created albums based off of their own works of anime like their whole album one of their whole albums is based off an anime that they wrote I haven't seen that I it's it's I think it's a forty five minute film, but it's based off of the music that they wrote for that album. Which is funny because you and I talk about the soundtrack often. You're more of the Daft Punk fan, and I'm yeah. more of the Tron fan. Right. And so I I got into them a little bit more because of Tron Legacy, mm-hmm. and you got into Tron I think a little bit more. Yeah. From Daft Punk. Yeah. And and so you and I see it from both sides mm-hmm. and come together and just love it equally. Yeah. And yeah, and like, like you're saying, they they had to come in. Hmm, Carlos did this, of course in the original Tron 82. Mm-hmm. I wasn't even around yet. I saw it later when my dad showed it to me and I was like, what is this, man? Yeah. And I was like four or five when I saw Tron the first time. It's interesting because when you're in the real world in Tron, you get that, you know, the, the, the simple sounds of, you know, being in the real world. For the lack of a better description. But then you go into the grid. Yeah. And you're in the computer. Mm-hmm. You're in a system. Right. You know, how does... This resonate being in a system. What does technology sound? What like? is exactly? What is what is the grid? You know, and and you know the, the fun part of the movie is they're making programs people. Yeah, and, you know they're making them more personal. So you get that feel in in the grid, but mm-hmm. you're having the techno and the electronic music yeah. that Daft Punk brings, and of course Wendy Carlos was doing the the synth wave back in the day. So mm-hmm. it was it was very key that building a sequel what, 20-ish years later. Yeah, it was almost 30 years. Uh, yeah, that even if you're changing the way things sound, I, I don't think they match any themes that Carlos did in the original. Maybe maybe one little smidge, but they didn't do much. But it was essential that they keep the same fundamentals, which is, you know, making it sound digital in the digital world and not necessarily out of. And they nailed it. Yeah, and that's another thing, too. When technology changes and advances, so does sound. So you would think that the grid, in theory, would upgrade and update itself to make sound more pleasurable to the person of today. So Carlos might have thought of something that great back then. That that's the way the technology sounds. Ooh, yeah, it was ahead. Of, it was ahead of its time. It was definitely ahead of its time. That's that's why I <laughs> liked it. And I was a huge fan of the immersion. Yeah, you felt like you were in the grid yeah. with them because of the music and and how when the games are playing and that arena music. Of course, they they have the cameo at the club. Yes, and uh, Daft Punk's in there. The DJ mm-hmm. gets a little cameo like. Yeah, yeah, we're rocking the joint for you. And then the fight happened, and they're like, oh, we got this some new music for the fight. That's right. And uh, oh, they, just, they just did such a great job. And yeah, it's really fun to see. Because I remember the same guy who directed Tron Legacy did this really underrated sci-fi movie called Oblivion, which my wife absolutely hates. I love it. It's but, all right. Yeah. And not everyone loves it. Yeah. I love it more because of the music. And yeah. why? Because M83 did the music. And M83 is another one of those Daft Punk type Mm-hmm. bands and it's one guy he came in with the person who helped Daft Punk do the legacy score uh, Joseph Trapanese I think his name is and he helped Gonzalez of M83 score and write mm-hmm. and compose for Oblivion right and another one of those you don't see rock bands or rock musicians doing soundtracks that's much. what I mean it's, I it, it's a big deal but it at is. the same time it's just kind of like oh okay. it makes it a, it makes it more of an event in my opinion yeah because it, it's almost like the film's important because here's Tom Cruise with his crooked pretty teeth mm-hmm. and that one weird middle tooth yep <laughs> 
<laughs> and clones of him. Uh, if you haven't seen the movie, I just ruined it for you. Sorry. And then you have M83, who mm. is up and coming at the time. Yeah. And together, this is supposed to be some science fiction event right. that Universal put out. And I, like I said, I know a lot of people don't probably like Oblivion as much as I do. I I love it more because of the sound and the visual you get with the music playing. Mm-hmm. Like the, the, the sights that were in the film and sure. and the music behind those sights. Not, yeah. not necessarily Tom Cruise and the action and everything happening, mm-hmm. but more of the visuals and the, the narrative that the music laid out for those sights. Right. Yeah. With that said, your number three is one of my favorite composers but great film um Pirates Gore, of the Caribbean Gore Verbinski uh, Gore Verbinski did the the directing oh you're right that was it, it's Hans Zimmer Hans who did Zimmer. the soundtrack right. and Zimmer is who he is up there for me yeah I love Hans Zimmer and not just because he did the womp for Inception. He's, oh my god, Interstellar. Gladiator. Gladiator. Uh, you, you could name uh, so many Days wonderful. of Thunder. Want to go down a list? I, I he, he, did, he, uh, he did a couple of Tom Cruise movies. I want to say he did Rain Man. More favorable recently, uh, Dunkirk, of course. But uh, it's, Dunkirk. Uh, it's uh, Blade Runner 2049 mm-hmm. when uh, Denis Villeneuve couldn't do, uh, get anyone to get that Vangelis feel. He tried Johan Johansson before he passed and it just worked out. Mm-hmm. So Zimmer came in with a, a protege of his, Benjamin Wallfish, and they did Blade Runner 2049. Mm-hmm. And oddly enough, he did Dark Phoenix, which was a trash movie, but the score was okay. I still haven't seen yeah, it Yeah, the only reason that movie was even watchable for me was because of Zimmer's score. My list is not in order as far as, like, You just favorites. listed them. Yeah. I just listed them off. What about Zimmer's work on Pirates of the Caribbean? Why does that one... It had it's gonna sound weird but it had a whimsical feel to it because when you think of a pirate you think of a dirty old man and you think of pillaging and drunken destroying. Johnny Depp all over the place yeah but he he made it and Hans Zimmer made pirates in a way that it made it cool yeah. it made it cool again to be a pirate so I feel like because of that, it added uh, a little story element of surprise and whimsy and, and wholeheartedness to keep an adventure going. Took the uh, the pirate epic yeah. that they were building with and, the film and, and broadened just, it out. Just elevated it yeah. that much more. No, I agree 100% there. Give it, dare I say, full sail. <laughs> oh, 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 I'm terrible. You are. Yeah. Uh, okay. Mission Impossible. Yeah. I was surprised to see this. Now, I've been a fan of the recent ones. I mean, I have the entire set. Of course, I've seen some of the show from back in the day. Mm-hmm. I mean, this one's had a strew of, of uh, composers all over these films. And, mm-hmm. a, you know, of course, different directors. But one man's been at the heart of it this entire time is, is Tom Cruise. And, Tom Cruise. And uh, so is it, which, is there a particular Mission Impossible that's your... No. I would say that the first Mission Impossible movie I saw was Mission Impossible 3. That was the first? One. That was the first one I saw. You've seen them all, though. I've seen them. I've seen... Yes, I've seen them all. It's a good spy thriller without being over the top and kind of dorky. Like the old <laughs> James Bond films, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, some of them definitely were dorky. I mean, James Bond, great character, great storylines and everything like that, but they were kind of dorky, and the music kind of reflected in those movies. And what good is a dirty reflection of a great movie if you can't show it off? So Mission Impossible had a great soundtrack to really reflect what a spy thriller needs to be. 
where there's intrigue, where there's mystery, where there's double crossing, double agents, and fake bombs, and real bombs, and jumping out of planes, and everything Everyone like looking that. like the same person with right. the mask on. Yeah. Well, which is funny is, is Elfman, your number five, mm-hmm. actually composed the first one. Yeah. And then someone we've already talked about, Michael Giacchino, he did the fourth one, which was Ghost Protocol, when Brad Bird stepped off the animation train. Which is did my his favorite first one. What's... Ghost Protocol, Ghost I Protocol. think, is my favorite one. I, I, it's got to be my... It might have been my favorite before this last one, because Fallout was incredible. Yeah. But, no, I, I would have to say Ghost Protocol. It felt very... Yeah, it needed... Because it was at the time when Mission Impossible was... I wouldn't say get old, but it, it needed, yeah. it needed a, a... Facelift. It needed a, a new kickstart. I won't call it a reboot. I won't call it a refresh. Mm-hmm. It just needed a, it needed a jump. Yeah. And Brad Bird really brought in with, with Giacchino. Mm. They, they gave it the jump it needed. Yeah. And, man, that was a great... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so with that being said, Danny Elfman, of course, he did the first one. Yeah, I didn't know that you weren't aware he was a knowing little bone glove. No, it's it's not general knowledge. Yeah. As far as I know. Wonderful, wonderful band. And, of course, that's part of why he did the singing voice for Jack Skellington in Nightmare Mm. Before Christmas. Which makes more sense to me now. Exactly. I highly recommend listening to Insanity. That song is, it's like seven minutes long and just a Halloween party Hmm. in seven minutes. It's wonderful. But Elfman, no, he is... What hasn't he done? I don't know. He is right, Batman. I mean, if uh, pretty he much with Avengers. Pretty much, if you could put any Tim Burton film out there, you're gonna find Danny Elfman, if not on the tail or inside it. Exactly. Which is totally okay with me because he has musical prowess to be nominated for some kind of award or some kind of Hall of Fame for sure. He's he's a great composer. He's a wonderful musician, and all in all, he touches a lot of gold. Yeah. To me. He's got to have a touch of gold or else yeah. he, he wouldn't have the no. longevity that he has. And, and, and he's done a lot. He's yeah. done a lot. I know more of his scores than I probably do John Williams because John Williams, you, you have series, a lot of large series. Like Star Wars, there's so many mm-hmm. of them. Harry Potter, there's so many of them. Right. Superman, so many of them. Uh, Elfman, there's... Oh, God, I... I can't name them off the top of my head, but I... I, I Mars Attacks, Nightmare Before Christmas, um, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, or Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, yeah, yeah, yeah. Corpse Bride, Frank and Weenie, what else? You said Avengers. Yeah, you did Age of Ultron. Uh, Edward Scissorhands. Mm-hmm. And fish. that's another thing. Any, Pretty much any kind of Johnny Depp movie, he's probably close behind in that, too. Somewhere, yeah. He's 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 done a lot. I wasn't going to list them all, but you started going, and I'm just sitting here like, oh, you're going to? <laughs> well, I'm going to list. Those are just the ones that I know Off for sure. Off the top of your yeah. head, yeah. No, but they're, oh, man, I could go down the list. Hey, you. Yeah, I'm talking to you, listening to the great movie radio show starring Chris Schneider. I don't want anybody to get hurt, so don't go moving around until this Movie Talk podcast comes back. Capiche? Warning, remain on this podcast. The advertisement you are experiencing is extremely dangerous. Proceed with caution. Hey, Chris here. Wanting to talk to you about the Tower Arcade and Lounge, located at the Citrus Tower in Claremont, Florida. The Tower Arcade and Lounge is a newly opened retro arcade and bar. For a small cover, visitors can enjoy unlimited free play on more than 30 games such as Centipede, Area 51, Donkey Kong, and favorite of mine, Pac-Man. They have many other classic arcade games as well. Mechanical games such as Pinball, Hoops, 
train and skill prize games are on old school quarters. They have a great selection of beer and wine, wine-based liquors and sodas. Snacks are available to reduce price because of the cover charge. Every Thursday night is Hospitality Night with a 10% off discount with employee ID. Visit the Tower Arcade Lounge on Facebook or their website, www.towerarcade.com. Or find them on Instagram with hashtag TowerArcadeCT. The Tower Arcade and Lounge. Tell them Chris from the GMR Show sent you. So we are looking at opportunities for networking and cross-promoting uh, our podcast with maybe some local businesses or an online business that would like an opportunity to get their product out there. If you feel like you would like to take advantage of this unique opportunity, shoot us an email at thegmrshow at gmail.com. We're looking at businesses to uh, advertise maybe 30 to 45 seconds worth and be featured here on the show and on our website as well. Again, if you're interested, you can email us at thegmrshow at gmail.com. And we'll make sure our people contacts your people. The heat's on, see? Which means it's time for Chris Schneider, host of the Great Movie Radio Show, to get back to work. I gotta lay low myself. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss another episode of this Movie Talk podcast. Do it, or else, if you know what I mean. Let's talk about five films that have inspired you beyond your favorites, and I've only seen three of these. Mm -hmm. They would be, of course, Patch Adams, It's a Wonderful Life, and V for Vendetta. Your other two are Friday Night Lights and Drunken Master. Yes. Oh, God, I remember seeing V for Vendetta in the theater, and Patch Adams, of course, the wonderful Robin Williams. Mm -hmm. And It's a Wonderful Life. My theater company actually plays it every year Mm -hmm. at Christmas time. Friday Night Lights, I never got a chance to watch, and Drunken Master, pretty much haven't seen it. These are movies that aren't necessarily favorites, but they're just movies that something in them resonated with you enough to have them still have a special place in your heart. Right. I am, I guess, inquiring as to why. Yeah, so Drunken Master, what about that inspired you? I have always been a huge fan of Jackie Chan. I love Jackie Chan. I I will watch any movie of Jackie Chan that is given to me because I think he's great. I also love the fact that a lot of his films have to do with the uh, inner working of oneself to defeat an obstacle or to uh, procure some kind of enjoyment in life for the rest of their life. Especially uh, considering that Drunken Master came out, I want to say, in either the late 60s or the early 70s. And the sequel for that wasn't made until 2000? Wow. It was... 78, by the way. 78. Mm. Okay. So... It was, it was really early in his career in American cinema. He had been trying to get out of Chinese cinema. And with Drunken Master, he was able to uh, make that breakthrough. Mm-hmm. The, the whole story revolves around uh, a boy in a dojo trying to get vengeance for his family because his father was beaten to a bloody pulp by some kind of karate master that had a different style than what he was taught. Mm. And the only way for him to really get after this person is to learn something new himself so he had to put himself through a rigorous training that he never expected was a possible thing he had to make sure that he would train and not slack off and of course because the movie is called drunken master he had to uh, use his body in the way of a drunk person without becoming drunk so although the style of kung fu itself would be deemed as unacceptable or intolerable it made him grow as a person to really 
hone his own skills and to fight for himself rather than for other people. I've seen quite a few Jackie Chan movies. Definitely sounds like one I need to watch. It's great. It's fun. It's hokey. Those are the best kind. Patch Adams, though, I have seen, and that absolutely broke my heart. I, I just, I'm still sad about Robin Williams not being here. I yeah. just watched Goodwill Hunting recently. His performance in that movie is astounding, and part of me just wishes that when he was in the place he was, I suppose you could say that not not take a little bit of his feedback to kind of help his his woe and his worry, but mm-hmm. to kind of help himself because you know not everyone knew, right? Which was sad. Is that not all? It came out of nowhere for some of us, as far as fans and stuff. I'm sure people. Yeah. Close to him might have had a little hint from all the the wonderful fans that have you know enjoyed his movies and his comedy specials and mm-hmm. everything he's done voice work in Aladdin and, yeah uh, yeah I'm I'm sorry I'm still heartbroken by him because he's he was one of my favorites growing up Patch Adams was just one of those films that when I saw it on your list I was like oh god I'm gonna go on for a while. <laughs> Because uh, anything Robin Williams, I could I could go on for. I'll try to keep it short. My end. So what about Patch Adams? stuck out to you like what happened that made it personal i suppose patch adams was a story of breaking the mold going against what's known as the rule book of society and going your own way which i can appreciate i'm not saying that i'm the reincarnate version of robin williams character patch adams no way am i that but at the same time i try to hold myself at a standard of figuring out things the way that i see fit i've at least i've tried to i know that i've had to tone myself down a lot for people over the years to kind of keep them uh interested or keep them entertained uh by who i am you're an entertainer and that's the thing you have to kind of bring yourself to the realization that if you want to keep people around you you have to be real with them you have to do what you do so they can understand why you are the way you are. I understand that. I'm just thankful that I found people in my life that truly understand that and have stuck by my side uh, for so long and continue to stay by my side. I'm glad we're friends too, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> There's going to be some tears here soon, so we got to no. just over friendship and Robin Williams. Mm. <laughs> Anyways... So we'll uh, we'll move on to a wonderful life. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a wonderful life. You gotta say the title right, or else you're fired. I'm fired. Oh man, off my own show. All right, have a good day, everyone. Da, 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 no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. No, okay. uh, it's, it's a wonderful life. So what yes. about what about it? I am part of a big family. A family of seven. Uh, two parents, my older brother, me, my Wait, little brother. Seven? Yeah, there's seven of us. I knew a good amount, but I didn't know it was seven. Yeah, my mom and dad, uh, my older brother, me, my little brother, and my two little sisters. Fair enough. Yeah. Being in a big family is fun in most cases, but there are a lot of times where there's sibling rivalry and you're pitted against one another and parents will choose your, their favorite. Even though they say they don't, they obviously do. It's a Wonderful Life kind of showed me that even though you may have it hard in your in your life and everything like that you may have a terrible job you may have uh things that just aren't working up to where you want to be in life you still always have your family to back you up that's important to me because i know that some people don't have the luxury of having their whole family together whether it be due to marital circumstance or due to age or due to just randomness of like a car accident or medical or anything like that there's just dumb disagreements yeah or just dumb disagreements Mm -hmm. i mean it it could drive people away and i'm not saying that i feel sorry for them but then again i am sorry that it has happened to them in that sense i feel like family whether it be blood or not blood 
your family always has your back. I know that my mom and dad and my brothers and my sisters will come to my aid if I so need to, but I also know that I have really good friends who are part of what I call my family that will also help me out if need be. I mean, I'm not saying that I have any huge major issue that needs to be solved right now, obviously, but I'm just, like I said, I'm really thankful for the families that I do have in my life. That's a good one, man. Yeah. It, well, and it makes sense, you know, if you if you go through the movie, this guy hates his life. It's so terrible for him that he just wants to end it all. He has to have that reflection period to really bring himself to know that he has his family. He has, he has a, it better than he thinks. He has it a lot better than he thinks, and his family is number one on that list. Yeah. It just makes sense. Yeah, you know? yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm still, like, taking it all in. Right, right. right. That's a good one. Well, and you recently got married, yeah, and yeah. you've become part of the Schneider family. Yeah, yeah. So you understand that. I'm, I'm guessing you understand that better than anyone, that exactly. you've become part of a bigger family now, that they have your back no matter what. Exactly. And for people listening, yes, my last name being Schneider, I actually took my wife's last name. There were some reasons. I'm not going to get into it. Disagreements. It's not Let's a place. It's not a thing here. But but exactly, that, that there's, as long as you have something you can call a family, some mm-hmm. some person place or people that you can fall back on that is your family they're a part of your life whether it's it be your life fest blood relative yeah. or not that's exactly what I, I agree with you wholeheartedly yeah. and i need to go back and rewatch that movie because it has been some time i haven't seen it in a while yeah um like i said my theater company plays it every year at christmas it's great film. christmas eve actually i think it's a it's a, it's a tradition that the yeah. company plays it on christmas eve <laughs> great film it's just been a long time since i've seen it sure wouldn't wouldn't mind a refresh Friday Night Lights. I have never seen. There was a TV show. There was the movie. It was. And... It was the movie that I enjoyed. It was. And the like movie a... came first, of course. Yeah, the movie yeah. came first. I I, I want to say it was ninety nine. It showed the brash and bare tacks of teamwork. It's teamwork to the core. A lot of drama may happen outside of the team or outside of the game, but when you are a team. You have your teammates to call upon you, which is almost reflects a whole another family sense. They may not be blood related, but they do have your back. They do make sure that you are the one throwing the pass to the end zone to make sure that they catch that for a touchdown for your team. They make sure that you move forward in the game. So that way you don't have to look back and say, I should have fumbled that ball. I should have passed it when I had the chance. I should have watched that blitz. You have your team. And that's... That's a great thing that I like to incorporate with my work is that even though I may not agree with some of these people that I work with, I know that they're part of my team and I'm willing to help them uh, procure a solution to what needs to happen next. Of course, I've never seen Friday Night Lights, so I can't put anything together with it. But I, uh, it's pretty good. I appreciate. It's it's great that that it's a movie that you you find that the the, the companionship and the teamwork skills yeah. that you can take to the real life right, from right. it. No, I appreciate that. Yeah, big time. I want to take a crack shot at your your fifth one here, V for Vendetta. Uh huh. I think it's the uh, the point of freedom from fear. Uh, freedom of fear being you know a way to because you know she goes through the whole thing that mm-hmm. she thinks that she's in prison and all right. that, and then she finds out spoiler that it's V the whole time. Yeah, yeah. It's you know him of course he's setting up his revolution of england and mm-hmm. as you know viva la revolution and, and guy fox day and, and trying to bring everyone in this this utopian english 
state together mm-hmm. that he is helping her free herself from her fear of being a part of something bigger being you know typecast as someone that her parents were which were you know political activists yeah and it was it's such a great graphic novel too yeah i would i would say freedom from fear would be a good underlying reason, reason along with my main reason for power of choice Ooh, there you go because uh, that's good i mean the matrix really shows that as well like he could have just ended everything right there ignored everything but for v for vendetta ultimately natalie portman's character has a choice to either go along with what he's saying or turn him in he could she Ooh, could she could have turned him in the whole yes, time yes 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 and that's what people I forget like it a lot of people are trying to argue that it's stockholm syndrome but if she has the choice ultimately then she really holds the power she does and the whole time she's you know, she's not completely held captive. He he's no. holding her there for her safety. Of right. Course. She could have just escaped and, and tell on. Exactly. The the prison door was open uh, more towards the end of her quote unquote sentence of being in this prison. Yeah. It's the power of choice that really drives a revolution. I like it a lot. See, I I was looking at it from the other side of the spectrum, and here you are to balance it. Yeah. I really like that. And that's my wife's favorite movie too. Is V for Vendetta? Actually, she uh has done the costume. I've done oh, the yeah. costume way before we even knew each other. The different. You know, you're, you're saying it from the different sides you're seeing it from they're trying to defend the political side and then you have v showing them everything that's wrong with the country right i love that film i really do so we're going to dive into directors now you have spielberg scorsese miyazaki and then tony and ridley scott Mm -hmm. that's a great combination right there those two we miss tony of course but uh spielberg and scorsese have always been huge huge loves of mine ridley scott too of course aliens my favorite horror film of all time um not necessarily my favorite sci-fi but my favorite sci-fi is uh blade runner there you go and so there you go so Mm -hmm. i got a little bit of both from ridley scott he doesn't make him like he used to but he has made some classics and i'm a huge fan we're gonna dive into spielberg first do you have a favorite of his just indiana jones just all the indiana jones series except for kingdom of the crystal squad i don't count that one (laughs) I watched it recently, and it's not as bad as everyone gives it. Yeah, no, I don't count that <laughs> I, I like it. I, I, I like it. I might be one of three people in the world that likes it, but I don't care. I, I, I don't like it as much. The class, oh, man, mm-hmm. one through three are amazing. And it just, I feel that four, you know, deserves a little bit more love. What I what I like about it is that it's corny. Like, the Indiana Jones series is a little bit corny, to yeah. be real. But Spielberg does good enough to keep it interesting. I think that's why I like him as a director, is he knows how to stay interesting. I agree. Okay, I, the last movie that I saw that was his was Bridge of Spies. Mm. I mean, not not. I didn't watch it chronologically, and I haven't seen anything in the sense. Of course, I've seen like Ready Player One and yeah, Jaws yeah. and all of these. But the last movie that I sat down and watched that was his mm-hmm. was Bridge of, Bridge of Spies. Mark Rylance in that film, he deserves that Oscar. It was an incredible. Have you seen Bridge of Spies? Nope. Highly recommended. I'm a huge spy thriller, like you were saying, Mission Impossible. Yeah, yeah. I love spy thrillers, like the Old Man from Uncle series and Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, right. Cat and Mouse films. Yeah, Even yeah. Captain America Winter Soldier. If yeah. you take the Marvel superhero element out of it, it it's is one of the best Cat and Mouse yeah. five movies I have ever seen. Yeah. No, Bridge of Spies was fantastic. Because right. you have a spy who's not a spy helping a spy get home. Exactly. And it's a, f- a very, very wonderful film. Scorsese... Mm-hmm. has done so many great movies. It's crazy because I'd have to say my favorite of his is one that's not even like one of his brutal R movies. Have you seen Hugo? Hugo? Yeah. Uh, is that the boy in the clock? It's the one he did so his kids could watch one of his movies. No, I haven't seen that one. Wonderful movie. I, have, I know it's based on a book, but it's about 
film appreciation, or or it dives into it at least. Right, right. It's not solely about it, but it, it, you find out that George Milliers, uh, if I'm saying that name right, is in it. He was the director of so many classic films, Trip to the Moon. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's a black and white version. There's a color version. Very very early 1900s, mm-hmm. and it explores a little bit of that heritage of film. Yeah, that I think that's what probably attributed to Scorsese picking that particular novel to to direct a film that his kids could watch that yeah. wasn't him killing people all the time because yeah. you know he, he appreciates cinema oh, which yeah. everyone's you know dogging that whole comment against Marvel Studios now yeah I get it and I don't at the same time all of his works man Wolf of Wall Street Mean Streets the Taxi Departed. Driver The Departed oh my god The Departed mm. uh, The Aviator I could go on and on right, about right. Scorsese's works what happens to be your favorite of his the Departed. The Departed. Did he do Shutter Island? He did Shutter Island. Then I would probably have to change that to Shutter Island. All right. Yeah. That was a great story. Yeah. Pretty great twist. Pretty great twist. It was a little predictable, but at the same time, I, I loved the presentation of the mm. twist. Because, you know, there's a lot of movies where you have a twist that is predictable. Right. And then you see it, and there's and it's like... still enjoyable. You watch him, and even though it's predictable, you're still like, whoa, because of the way it's presented. Right. And I'm sorry, I'm kind of going through these quick because we're getting close to time. Miyazaki. Miyazaki. Anything Studio Ghibli Anything has Ghibli. his name on it. We talked about that last um, episode with the with the Ghibli films. Mm-hmm. Howl's Moving Castle is probably my favorite one, though. has a beautiful color, beautiful music, wonderful story, and just that feeling of longing for more. What about uh, Tony Scott? We'll go there. Tony Scott, I believe, did Man on Fire, which is one of my favorite films. Denzel. Yeah. And me and Denzel share a birthday. Really? So, Denzel, if you're listening, happy, what's up, birthday bro? Happy w- recent birthday, Mr. Washington. His no big son deal. is becoming a great actor. Yeah. Uh, John David, he just did, uh, you know, he was in Black Klansman, and now he's doing Tenet with Christopher Nolan. God right. help us all, that movie's going to blow my mind. And then Ridley Scott also did uh, the, the Alien series, which I find astounding. Oh, Just my great. God. Yeah. I would probably have to say my favorite Tony Scott film would be True Romance with Christian Slater and Patricia Arquette, which I have in a Tarantino box set because he was, mm. I think he was one of the writers on it. Or gotcha. the writer. Yeah, he was the writer. Yeah, Ridley, it would be a tie between Blade Runner and, and Alien for me there. Yeah. A wonderful list, man. Oh, yeah. uh, those are definitely up there. So all we have left is five films you haven't seen. I have seen two of these in recent memory and one that was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. We're going to start with the ones I haven't seen so I can commiserate in the fact that I haven't seen them either. And then maybe give you an insight on the ones I have. Mm-hmm. Uh, Quigley Down Under, I haven't seen. I also haven't seen it. I know it has one of the best cowboy scenes that I have ever heard of. Quigley is a cowboy in the Australian Outback that proves himself to, I believe, Alan Rickman as the bad guy. But there's a shot that he has to shoot that's like 150 yards away. Mm -hmm. And if he can shoot the shot, then he proves himself worthy of being part of the clan. He has to make the shot and also the wind is blowing 50 miles per hour and everything like that and the sun's in his eyes from that one clip that i saw i thought that'd be a cool little australian cowboy story well yeah tom Selleck is of course quickly and right. alan rickman is in it yes uh from 1990 yeah i just i've never seen it it's, a, it's an older one that i haven't mm-hmm. seen or older as in recent older yes yeah. and then Eraserhead, which was david lynch's one of if not david one lynch. of his first movies yeah it's on my watch list but i just haven't got around i to just feel it. like that's gonna be a movie i'm only gonna be able to watch once and that's <laughs> fine yeah 
because there are a couple movies like that, like uh, Requiem for a Dream. I'm not oh, going to be able to watch that again. That movie messed me up. I'm not going to watch it again. It's I, a great movie, but I'm not going to watch it again. I feel like, as someone who has never done drugs, first for, first of all, I'm scared to do them ever, which is great because, you know, no one needs it. Second of all, I felt like I was on it the whole time, even though I just never even touched them. Yeah. <laughs> it was such a messed up movie. Great great cast, great director. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. yeah, Racerhead was one of his first films, yeah. and I would just want to see where he started off. I agree. Newsies I haven't seen in a long time. But Christian Bale. I told my wife that I hadn't seen Newsies, and she told me that we should watch Newsies. So I think sometime soon with the Disney Plus app, if you don't have the Disney Plus app, please go ahead and purchase that because it's great for all your classic needs for Disney. This isn't a plug for Disney Plus, by the way. <laughs> um, we are in no way affiliated. We're not affiliated with Disney. Not exactly. We're very I mean, loosely based. I mean, the, yeah, we're loosely based um, on Disney. But because we have the Disney Plus app, we're going to find some time probably when we get home to is it watch there? Newsies. Is yeah. it on there? Oh, okay. Yeah. okay. So hey. probably, uh, yeah, probably soon enough then. Right now. We're just going to pause and watch it and then come back. No, I'm just no. kidding. No, 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 right no. Now. Apocalypse Now. Mm-hmm. That movie was crazy. Yeah. I'm not huge in war movies, but I know that that one would be really fun. Marlon Brando yeah. was, oh my god. What what words do I choose to use for him? He was pretty okay. No, I'm just No, kidding. he was he was gone. He was crazy. Hmm. And Martin Sheen, of course, I've I've never seen him, you know, for Francis Ford Coppola. I haven't seen many of his films. Sadly, I've seen The First Godfather and, you know, hmm. you guys can shoot me down on email or comments later about not seeing Godfather 2 yet. I have the box set. I'm gonna watch it. It's it's in it's in the works. Note he has the movies and hasn't watched it yet. Because I have too many movies and no little time, too little time. <laughs> My uh, stepfather-in-law and I actually watched Apocalypse Now. Uh, recently, and yes, it was my first time seeing it because again, I'm trying to go through a list of movies I haven't seen to just you know a play catch up and b I hear it's fantastic. I want to see it, and it blew me away. Yeah, Marlon Brando was such this powerful character that he just you you come into this island and they're trying to bring him back or destroy him, and he was God. Marlon Brando was God. You you see it in his eyes. You see it in in the way. He, he holds himself. He, he was human, of course, but mm-hmm. in his mind, in the mind of the followers on the island, he was God. I need to watch it again. I do. I'll watch it right now. And then Memento, of course, Christopher Nolan's film. I don't really know too much about Memento. I know that he has some kind of memory loss deficiency. So maybe you've seen it and you just played along and you don't remember watching No, I used to work in a movie <laughs> uh, rental store and that movie was rented out a lot and I read the back of it. He has some kind of mental deficiency. He does, yeah. Uh, like amnesia. It's 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 a it's a it's an amnesia yeah, of, and, of a sort. Yeah. And he has to take pictures to remind him of things that he has to do and everything like that and it's a thriller, I guess. But the fun part is what pictures does he trust and what pictures can't he? Oh, okay, and that that plays a that part into the story. No, I love love Memento, and mm-hmm. I'm just a huge fan of Nolan's storytelling overall. So, lastly, before we get out of here, and thank you again for everyone who's been listening to us just ramble about stupid things and us sounding stupid probably part of the time, but whatever. We're we're here because we like talking movies, and well, we hope you're here because you like hearing movies or, or hearing about them, and you know you can again tell us to shut up or or that we're wrong or you know any feedback's great. You can always go to gmrshow at gmail.com or go on our website and post uh, comments on the YouTube channel, whatever uh, you feel necessary to criticize us in this, this day and age. 
<laughs> but uh, we're open to everything, man. Mm-hmm. We really are. And Joe, thanks for coming yeah, uh, no and being a part of this. Your last one, last discussion we'll have is your favorite century of film. The 50s. The 50s. Neither of us were around in the 50s. Nope. We might be around for the next set of 50s. Hopefully. I hope so. Yeah. There are 30 years from now. I promised my wife 100 years. So the 50s, uh, what about the 50s just strikes you? And then, of course, I will ask, what is your favorite of the 50s? It's, it's a, it was a new age as far as bringing color and life into film. The technology that they had at the time obviously wasn't as good. But when the 50s blossomed forth, and I say blossomed forth because it actually brought some kind of sense in life mm-hmm. to what was going on. Films like Rebel Without a Cause, uh sunset boulevard it gave a new life that wasn't there before it almost seemed like it was non-existent you know a world that was colorless and full of no life was brought to new meaning it was a transitional period it was it was such a transitional period especially with the musical game the musical game in the 50s even in the early 40s was uh, starting to taper out because there wasn't any color. But then you have classics like Singing in the Rain from 1952 that really brought forth a new era of ushering in entertainment. Because you'd have entertainment that you would see on the stage put into a film format that people can see in the comfort of their own homes. Mm-hmm. And they wouldn't have to drive so many hours to the city to see the stage performance. They could see it on their TV or they could see it on the big screen. So what happens to be your uh, favorite of the 50s? I, I mean, if if I'm if I'm going to be not stereotypical about it, but if I'm going to pick one, I'm probably going to say Singing in the Rain. It's been a very long time since I've seen it. It's the music, the colors, the, the whimsy of it, and the choreography is phenomenal as well. Mm-hmm. I appreciate the fact that uh, films of today have been trying to bring that back, like La La Land. I haven't seen it personally, but from what I've heard, it's a, it was supposed to usher in a, a new life to what the 50s style of movies really were. No, yeah, La La Land was a uh, fantastic film. I love the, love the soundtrack they did too, Damien Chazelle. Plus the fact that Cary Grant is an all-around awesome dude, and he was in a lot of the films in the 50s. You mean Gene Kelly? Well, I, Gene Kelly wasn't singing in the rain, but Cary Grant was also a very prominent 50s act. Of course. Of like course. Uh, North by Northwest. Uh, before that, I believe he was an arsenic and old lace. He did a lot of great films, and he did a lot of service towards the 50s. And, and this was all during the communism scare as well. Gotcha, gotcha. No, I, I misunderstood you. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, Joe, thanks again for being here. You had no choice. You were dragged down here by your wife to yeah. Florida. so Which I'm not complaining about because I'm in Florida. Okay. <laughs> it's not as cold down here as it was in, uh, in Illinois, I'm sure. I appreciate you talking to us about, uh, you know, your favorites and, you know, things you grew up on. And uh, I'm just glad we had a chance to chat because we've been talking about doing this for a while. And uh, we were going to do it via Skype and uh, it just happened that you were here so here we are and yeah we're talking before i go i just wanted to say to our listeners thanks for being along with us check us out on facebook instagram and twitter gmr show you can find us on multiple podcast outlets around the internet till then thanks for joining and uh have a great day everyone see ya happy new year the great movie radio show is recorded in orlando florida you can visit our website at www.thegmrshow.com Art direction and logo design provided by Mr. Bayless. Voiceover and intro work provided by Dave Feske and Joe Erickson. You can find our podcast on multiple platforms such as Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, and many more. 
Music provided by the YouTube Audio Library. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search The Great Movie Radio Show or The GMR Show. This has been The Great Movie Radio Show. We hope you enjoy your day, and we'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of. Goodbye, everyone. We made a tiny boo-boo when recording this episode, so we're going to fix that real quick. While Hans Zimmer was involved with the scoring and composing of the original Pirates of the Caribbean soundtrack, it was actually Klaus Bade who was the credited composer for the film. Hans Zimmer did go on to compose the next three of the five Pirates of the Caribbean films, but again, we just wanted to make a correction out there because proper respect is given where it's due. You have been listening to a WGMR radio production.